on. I'm on WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Skylar Eagle, and thanks for joining us. Tonight we hear about the pandemic's effect on addiction. So we're doing 20% more than 20%. Hear how the Ithaca College community gathered this weekend to protest the school's administration. Ithaca College! It's time to actually be student-centered! And hear about the state leader's Save Your Seat campaign. With 1,600 seats, if we sell out the theater like we have done so many times in the past, we sell every seat for 100 bucks each, boom. But up first, let's hear what's going on in the Ithaca area with our community beat. Tompkins County has reached the most positive tests reported in a single day since the pandemic began in March, according to COVID-19 testing updates from the Tompkins County Health Department. On Saturday evening, the latest update from the Health Department posted shared data confirming that there are 127 active coronavirus cases in Tompkins County. North Aurora Street is reopening to traffic tomorrow, November 16th, after being closed down to cars for months to accommodate restaurants' social distancing measures. Due to the number of restaurants located on North Aurora Street, the streetery, as it was called, allowed restaurants to expand their outdoor dining to more safely host their guests and limit congestion on the sidewalks. Although the streetery is closing for the winter months, city officials still encourage citizens to support local businesses as safely as they can. The increase of cases on campus and in the Ithaca community over the past week brought Cornell University to a yellow COVID-19 alert level. Cornell has stopped hosting in-person classes and attempts to lessen exposure to COVID-19. The university claims the decision to move to yellow was a precaution intended to limit further spread. The Greater Ithaca Activity Center is hosting its annual Harvest Fest on Friday, serving a free Thanksgiving dinner from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Because of the pandemic, meals will only be served by pickup, with GIAC delivering to certain locations as needed. Walk-ups are welcome, though reservations are encouraged, and can be done online by calling GIAC or in person anytime before November 20th. An employee of the Ithaca Texas Roadhouse restaurant tests positive for COVID-19 and has worked two shifts over the past week while infectious. Close contacts of the individual are in quarantine. The Tompkins County Health Department recommends that anyone who dines at the Texas Roadhouse on Thursday, November 10th from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. or Wednesday, November 11th from 3.30 p.m. to 8 p.m should receive testing and look out for coronavirus symptoms. To register for a testing appointment, go to CayugaHealthSystem.org or call Cayuga Health Center at 607-319-5708. A fire broke out at the Tompkins County Department of Recycling and Materials Management Building last Monday. An exact cause has not been identified, but the Ithaca Fire Department has stated it was likely because of recycled batteries at the site. The fire was extinguished by the Ithaca Fire Department and there were no injuries. 
The department reminds the community that batteries should never be recycled and to take precautions when properly disposing of batteries. For Bridget Bright, I'm Phoebe Harms, WICB News. Addiction struggles were already a major issue before the pandemic, but now with increased distance and isolation for others, many more have struggled with various forms of addiction in the last few months. And as this winter looms heavy on many people's minds, the growth of these problems don't seem to be in any position to slow down. Speaking to representatives from Tompkins Alcohol and Drug Council and Fitzsober, Christian Maitrey and Jay Bradley dove into this issue and how it's affected people locally. On Ithaca Now, we've spent a lot of time talking to local organizations to explore the needs and challenges they continue to face. Many faced reduced state funding and revenue and had to quickly adjust to new training and technology needs. In the case of the Alcohol and Drug Council of Tompkins County, this comes with an increased need for their services. The reality is we know it's increasing. We know the severity is increasing. We know, um, you know people are engaging in self-medicating, self-soothing behaviors, right? That's Angela Sullivan, Executive Director of the Alcohol and Drug Council of Tompkins County. We've presented uh, or provided 20%-ish more services this year during this time period than we did the previous year. It's no secret that the pandemic has had a mental health toll as well, and that pairs with the addiction crisis. Opioid death rates have risen this year in most states, and substance use in general has risen throughout the pandemic, according to reports by the New York Times and the National Institute on Drug Abuse. I would be remiss if I did not say, with that 20% increase in services, we have also had 20% of our funding from New York State withheld. So we're doing 20% more with 20% less money. In 2019, New York State had 1,389 opioid overdose deaths. Tompkins County had 10, according to the New York State Health Department, with more than 30 hospitalizations due to overdoses too. While under the state rate, the opioid epidemic, along with other forms of addiction, affect us here in Tompkins County. Angela is hoping that funding gets restored soon, because there's a need for both her organization and others like it to have that funding, especially if more people are needing the service. Like, this is not the time to be counting, withholding, or decreasing funding for substance use disorder or mental health. Like, that is the next wave of an epidemic. We were already sort of there with the addiction epidemic between opioid issues related to that and just general overconsumption of alcohol and other drugs. Uh, this is not, again, it's sort of like one of those things that I'm like, like what's, what's it going to look like on the other side of this? Like how much uh, ground are we going to need to make up? The Alcohol and Drug Council has what they call patient-focused treatment that allows them to adjust to what their patient needs with a mix of services including individual and group counseling, physicians and psychiatrists. They often use peer support to help guide people towards a meaningful recovery. They need to be able to be in the world in recovery, whatever that looks like for them. They also engage in community outreach to support their work, like community-based information, education, uh, working in schools with youth, um, as well as 
uh, implementing some harm reduction strategies like um, training and distributing Narcan in our community. But obviously not being able to be in groups and especially not being able to see people face to face makes all of these things harder for them because... The antidote to addiction isn't necessarily sobriety or abstinence, it's community, right? Addiction is a disease of isolation and stigma. And that's what you have to get at if you want people to be healthier, happier. So how did they adjust? So we're like 99.9% remote now via telehealth. So that was a huge change for us. We provide services both telephonically and via Zoom help. With a Zoom license that offers more security and encryption than a typical one, the Alcohol and Drug Council is able to get in contact with people safely and see their patients over the screen. Something Angela says is... An amazing thing that has saved lives during the pandemic. Thankfully, with how fast they had to transition back in March, it went better than expected. Isn't it maybe the long-term solution? I don't know. But when it came to making sure people's needs were met in a really simple, easy, accessible, quick way, Zoom saved lives. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) Like Zoom saved lives, for sure. They've adapted many of their programs to remote too, doing trainings over video chat and touchless Narcan deliveries, and eventually individual physician visits or medication drop-offs. But that doesn't mean it's a perfect system. Recovery's different for every person. Like there's a whole bunch of different things that are recovery. And so our piece is to be really integrated into the continuum of care and making sure we're making those connections. But it is not the same as having a face-to-face with someone. Some people struggle with technology, have limited bandwidth, or don't have the necessary hardware. It worked really well for the people it's worked really well for. It has not worked at all. The people that it is not, like there's very little middle of the road um, in my experience and in the feedback we're getting. So staff who are sort of able to transition and have really good internet at home or whatever, like it worked really well for. Same with clients, right? For those that it didn't, that that wasn't their reality, it's been a really hard challenge. As grateful as I am for being able to quickly transition to this, um, we do worry about all the people we're not hearing from, right? Who don't have access because we're not we're not doing just sort of like walk-ins anymore. So that is probably my biggest concern. Still, it can't be understated how this option has helped. The early part of this shutdown was terrifying, and there were people who relied on this service. They relied on medication, so medication-assisted treatment related to their addiction. And by having an ability to do telehealth services, at least they had someone they could connect to who was a professional, right, who could help them navigate all of the things that would potentially be uh, scary, triggering, or um, set up a situation where people might relapse, I can't even imagine how bad the scenario would have been if we didn't have this option. The Alcohol and Drug Council isn't alone either. Other groups have had to find meaningful ways to adapt and adjust to help those who need them. Fit Sober, a local group that uses fitness and community to help those struggling with addiction, has also faced its own challenges and changes. Uh, we took a quite a hiatus. Um, 
for safety's sake. Uh, the space that we were using actually closed, so we weren't able to have an indoor place. And with everything being so uncertain, uh, I kept it, we kept in touch uh, virtually, and there were no actual services. Donna Atkinson, the co-founder of Fitzober. Uh, we reopened about two months ago, um, and we are meeting in the park weekly until the weather holds out. And we are currently looking for an indoor space uh, to hold fitness classes, of course, 100% mass, um, while Tompkins County is still in re required to do that. Um, and we are hoping to stay outside for as long as possible. And that wellness community has been a good resource for a number of people since they restarted. We've actually seen an uptick in participation um, since we reopened than before. I think people are valuing social interaction and these fitness classes and opportunities a lot more because they are less available, because it's less available. So um, we've actually seen an uptick in participation, which has been nice to see. Her partner, Bridget, emphasized how health and wellness help with addiction and that having this sense of community, especially in the pandemic, has helped get some people on the right track especially when community is harder to come by now. I think in the early stages of getting sober, a lot of people are very on the fence about whether or not they identify as someone who needs to get sober. So I think we want to really, we don't want people to have to be at a point where they believe that they have a problem to start getting involved. So I think by making it really open, um, people with kind of any level of curiosity about it can feel comfortable coming. Um, and then maybe, you know, over time can feel more, can do a little more soul searching about what, where their process needs to go. Yeah. And most people, I know myself included, I didn't think I really had an issue with alcohol. So I just tried it out for a day, just not having, you know, or two days and then see how that goes. Um, we're not trying to do any ultimatums or you know, absolutes, you know, the, the only requirement is 48 hours sobriety prior to coming to class. Despite the stigma attached to addiction and mental illness, Angela from the Alcohol and Drug Council and Donna from Fitsober emphasize that it's not a moral failing or something to be afraid of to ask for help, whether it be for addiction or mental health challenges attached to it. It is a treatable disease. That's the other thing I think people don't always hear. And it would really help with the stigma. I think the greatest, one of the greatest barriers that uh, people face is the stigma. Right. Like nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody, people are afraid of getting help because then they'll be judged. You know, that that mindset has to change. It is a disease. It is treatable. And um, I will say, I think people would be surprised, if not shocked, if they actually knew some of the people who quietly, with dedication and lots of hard work, um, are in recovery from their disease. It is, it's all you know, across the board, all socioeconomic stat impacts everybody. So but there isn't anybody who's exempt from that risk. Unfortunately, with cases and deaths rising from COVID-19, there's a lot of worry that many more will struggle in the months to come. I foresee a really rough 2021. I am, I am an optimist by nature. But I am also a chief executive officer who's paid to realistically look at the landscape and the levers of policy. And I just think it's going to be rough in our field, in our world, when I mean to say, uh, for a long time, for many months to come. I think uh, 
we're not going to really see the full impact of substance use uh, or abuse for months. I mean, we're heading into the holidays, which is traditionally, you know, a very uh, sadly busy time when it comes to mental health and substance use disorder services. Um, and then again, the winter, uh, people hunker down. And yeah, it's, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to get great anytime soon. Just say that way. I think it's going to be hard work. If you're struggling with addiction of any kind, don't be afraid to reach out to these organizations. You can find information on their websites. And if you know anyone personally who is suffering from addiction, be sure to be there for them and to help them. As Angela said, addiction is a disease of isolation and stigma. Sort of having those conversations uh, with our loved ones and friends, like, hey, how are you really doing? I think a lot of a lot of people are wondering, going, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't have COVID. I'm good. Right? There's more to it than that. You have no idea what's possible for your life or even tomorrow until you take one step. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. And I'm Christian Matry. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Skylar Eagle. Ithaca College's administration is facing backlash from some members of its community. Saturday, just under 100 students, faculty, and others connected to IC gathered for their Open the Books campaign against announced austerity measures and for financial transparency. Correspondents Christian Matry and News Director Jay Bradley were at the scene. In early October, Ithaca College announced that it will be laying off 130 staff members in response to lower enrollment in the 2020-21 academic year. According to Lejeune Cornish, Provost and Senior Vice President for Academic Affairs at the college, this action has to be taken in light of a $30 million cut in the college's budget. President Shirley Coyado, however, shared a different viewpoint at the all-college gathering on October 15th, saying that the layoffs were part of Ithaca College's strategic plan. The aim of the plan, Ithaca Forever, is to find a sustainable size for the college, and according to the college, cuts are consistent with the predetermined goals of the plan, albeit hastened by the pandemic. Final decisions about faculty and program cuts are expected to be announced in the coming spring. The Ithaca College community has responded with disapproval and a coalition of Ithaca College faculty, staff, students, alumni, and other community members that have showed their opposition in the form of a letter termed hashtag open the books. The letter denounces the academic program prioritization process, or the APP program, which puts budget allocation in line with institutional goals and academic programs first, and also asks for shared governance, greater transparency, and for the college to make its financial information public. As of now, the letter has a total of 689 signatures. This letter resulted in a gathering of around 100 people at Ithaca College's 
alumni circle. The station spoke to attendees like students. Are you a student here? Yes, I am a student here. I'm currently a senior biochemistry major. Faculty. I teach in the writing department. I'm a lecturer in the uh, writing department. Alumni. Yeah, I'm an alum. Former faculty. Looking at all the options, I really had no other option but to retire. As well as concerned members of the local community. For WICB, I'm Christian. And I'm Jay Bradley. The letter argues how specific sections of the faculty will bear the brunt of this decision, such as people of color and junior faculty. The letter ends with a call to the college to value its people over its budgetary bottom line and remember the values of, quote, respectability and accountability and equity. The Faculty Council Executive Committee, or FCEC, at Ithaca College, who formally criticized the suddenness of the faculty cuts, said they will be organizing a town hall to discuss the effects of the faculty cuts on the Ithaca College community. Whether attendees would be just faculty or also include other Ithaca College stakeholders, however, was not decided. A date for the town hall has also yet to be confirmed. These sentiments embedded in the letter still stand strong and were expressed in physical form yesterday afternoon as protesters gathered outside Ithaca College with the rally chant, Open the Books. Rallygoers demanded transparency and disclosure of financial information pertinent to the Ithaca College community. Students and faculty alike expressed concerns for the school and that it was not being transparent enough as to how they were handling the finances from lower enrollment rates. So I think transparency to me um, not only means just presenting the information, but also actively involving students, community members, and faculty within the decision-making process. There are solutions out there that does not have to be firing over 130 faculty members. That is just ridiculous because there are a lot of creative and Ithaca College and institutions that base their foundation on creativity and work. So it's more, most importantly to put determination to this action. And this also comes from students. It is our responsibility as students to really be there for our professor and faculties during this difficult time. In fact, the protesters demanded it. Ithaca College, it's time to actually be student-centered. It's time to open the books. There were many other demands made by protesters, such as ending the layoffs of employees during the pandemic, as well as pausing the APP process in order for the school to accept the fact that they may need to downsize, in some people's opinions. I spoke to three organizers of the event, two members of the faculty, Patricia Rodriguez and James Veranda. Veranda gave background on why the movement was started. To hopefully convince the administration at the college to reconsider some of the layoffs and the impending firings that are set to happen over the next couple of months. And Rodriguez gave me her reaction to the event after it transpired. Um, yeah, I, I was very happy with the turnout, considering that it's a, you know, we're in, the, in a pandemic. Um, I think that I felt a sense of solidarity that I don't really feel um, at school um, and at work. Although opinions were passionately expressed. COVID has made our already complicated budget problems more complicated. The crowds were chanting. I am. I am. A revolutionary. A revolutionary. I am. I am. A revolutionary. A revolutionary. I am. I am. A revolutionary. A revolutionary. The event remained peaceful, and attendees from different positions at IC and different walks of life were able to express their opinions and make demands. For WICB, I'm Christian Maitre. And I'm Jay Bradley.
This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Skylar Eagle. Ithaca State Theatre, much like many other music and entertainment venues throughout the country, has struggled through the pandemic. Without the revenue from in-person events and shows, the not-for-profit venue faces a $160,000 deficit for this fiscal year. To help remedy that, the theatre recently launched its Save Your Seat, Save Our Stage fundraiser. News Director Jay Bradley spoke to Doug Levine of the State Theatre to hear more. Hey, good evening. Um, hi, Jay. My name is Doug Levine. I am the executive director of the State Theater of Ithaca, and I'm also a uh, an Ithaca College alum as well. Oh, I forget. When, when, when did you say you uh, you graduated? I actually have two degrees from Ithaca College. Um, I have my bachelor's from 19, uh, 1998, I graduated, and I got my master's, my MBA in 2004. All right, so, so the yeah. State Theater, what is the Save Your Seat campaign? Oh, give me the... Uh, Give me the gist for that. The, 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 the quick synopsis. Um, essentially, the Save Your Seat campaign is uh, a new fundraising campaign that we're rolling out to garner support for the State Theater. Many people know that we've been shut down because of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, a lot of public gathering spaces have been shut down. So Save Your Seat is a great way to show your support for the State Theater and making your mark there as well. For every $100 donation you make, you can, quote, save your seat at the State Theater and get an actual plaque put on a seat with your name on it. And, and, uh, and each plaque, yeah. No, go on. Each plaque, um, we, we can have up to 40 characters per plaque, which is actually like a pretty decent amount of, to put a nice little message on it. And we've been getting some, you know, ones that just say like, Jay Bradley loves the State Theater, that's fine. But we also got one like on Friday that was like, uh, this one is in memory of my hearing loss, which I gloriously suffered at Dinosaur Junior in 2017. You know, like fun, fun things like that. We've been getting some fun ones. You know, I, I melted my face off here with Wilco, you know, in 2015. Um, and amazingly, some, some folks uh, have been learning about it from out of town that, you know, may have been in Ithaca, you know, for a four-year period as a student. So we've been getting a lot of like, hey, I'll never forget seeing Star Wars there for the first time in 1977. You know, and these people are like buying plaques from like California, but uh, you know, the state theater is a special place. So people are coming out of the woodwork to support. It's pretty cool. And um, can you just tell me about kind of how uh, the state theater has fared over the last couple months? Give me, um, tell me about why uh, raising this money is so important. Yeah, so our last show was on March 7th. March 7th, we had Graham Nash at the State Theater. Um, he's an amazing band, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I'm sure you've heard of him, Graham Nash. Uh, so that was like a kind of normal night. We had, you know, over a thousand people in the audience. And, and the next weekend, we had four shows in a row that were all like close to sold out. Um, they were like, you know, easily over a thousand seats sold per show. And long story short, um, you know, by that Wednesday, we were told that we had to completely shut down. Uh, no shows at all were allowed. So we, we lost all that income. And, and really we've lost another, in addition to those four shows, we've probably lost another 50 events after that in the eight months that we've been closed. We usually do about, uh, you know, 80 to 90 events a year. And, and we've had no live events since March 7th. Um, we have done some live stream events, um, and we actually have another one planned for Tuesday, December 1st, which is Giving Tuesday. Um, but I can tell you that live stream events are fun and everything, but they're certainly not nearly as profitable as a normal show, a normal live show at 
a state theater. So, um, you know, basically over an eight month period, any business that doesn't have their normal line of income set up, you know, you, you, you suffer, you hurt. So I've had to make a lot of tough decisions. We've had to let, we have had to furlough a bunch of employees. Um, we've had to radically reduce our expenses. And even with that, we're still looking at a major deficit because of this pandemic. The other thing is that there hasn't been any federal or state support for theaters like us either that's been passed. You would think that like, you know, major industry like this live performance would get some sort of monetary support. We haven't seen a dime. So we've been basically just fighting this on our own. Um, so the Save Your Sea campaign is a really fun, great way to raise some money. And we hope to raise additional funds with our Save Your Sea concert on Tuesday, December 1st, which by the way, I, I mentioned Graham Nash is lined up, but we also have some other major bands like uh, the Avid Brothers, um, Kebmo, um, uh, the Wood Brothers, etc. Oh, Sam Harris from X Ambassadors is playing. Pretty cool. The, the number is $160,000 in deficit, correct? And that's just caused, I mean, that's really the number that we're looking at. Um, you know, with all of our expenses reduced, that's the number, that's still the gap that we need to reach. Yeah, to, uh, to just like stay in business. That's it, yeah. Um, I mean, it, we, we, the number is, is around, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it might be like 152,000 is like the exact number, but um, 160,000 is like a nice round number. We also, based on 1600 seats, the math just makes a lot of sense. It's something that I think people can really wrap their heads around. With 1,600 seats, if we sell out the theater like we have done so many times in the past, if we sell every seat for 100 bucks each, boom, it will take care of our deficit, at least for this year. 160 grand. Mm -hmm. And if someone can't, uh, isn't comfortable or doesn't have it available to spend $100, but they still want to uh, support the theater, uh, maybe pay a little bit here and there, what, um, what can they do? Yeah. I mean, we, you can still make a donation and we will gladly accept it and, and send you a nice thank you letter. We're a 501c3 not-for-profit. So, you know, all, all donations are tax deductible as well. And it would just, I think even, you know, we have seen some people just donate, you know, five, 10, $15, which we appreciate every penny. We really do. Um, and it just helps to know that you're doing your part to help save this beautiful theater. And how long will this uh, specific uh, you know, campaign go on? Um, we're really gonna push it through the end of 2020. We hope to reach our goal by December 31st or you know January 1st. Um, we hope to, we, we're really gonna do the hardcore push. If we have to, it, it can go beyond that. Um, I mean, but, um, but really this is like a end of year sprint kind of thing. Um, and and I, just to back up on your, your last question, we have seen some people, you know, if maybe like, you know, a hundred bucks is a lot to, like I was a college student once. I know that a hundred bucks is a lot of money to a college student, but if, if you and three buddies got together or even four buddies and said, Hey, here's 20 bucks each. And there's five of us for a hundred bucks. And you could say, Jay, Brian, Ed, Steve, Mike, all on the plaque, you know, you could all get together and do it together. And then even, you know, after you graduate from your college, you can come back and visit your seat that the five of you went in on, you know? So th that is an option too, by the way. Uh, but yeah, we, we plan on pushing this um, through the end of the year. Um, like I said, we have Giving Tuesday, which is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. You know, there's Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Giving Tuesday is always the day that people give back to not-for-profits. Um, and this year on Giving Tuesday, we're going to give back to the community and, and put together this amazing online concert. 
So we want people to, to tune in. And, and of course, during the concert, we'll ask for additional donations as well. And where will people be able to tune into that uh, online concert? Um, the State Theater has our own YouTube page and we'll be streaming it live at 8 p.m. on Tuesday, December 1st. Um, and it will also be streaming on our Facebook page as well live on Tuesday, December 1st. All right, and will it be available after or will it just be live? Stream? It will be, yes. It, it will live on, yes. In fact, if you go to the State Theater's YouTube page now, you can see some of the other live streams that we've done in the past. Uh, we did a Bob Dylan tribute birthday show back in May. Um, there was a John Prine tribute show. He was sadly one of the first prominent artists to pass away from COVID. And he's graced our stage multiple times. So we did a tribute to him. So they are actually still living on on YouTube. Um, you can check them out. Um, just go to the State Theater YouTube page. They're, they're pretty amazing shows. I, I recommend checking them out. Did you have anything else you wanted to touch on regarding uh, the Save Your Seat campaign or anything else regarding the State Theater as it stands right now? Not much. I, I, I'll just say that... Um, you know, I know we're all making sacrifices here and, and especially like college students, you know, you're, you're working from home. Um, but uh, we've said it on our marquee for months. We are all in this together and we all need to just work together and bond together and, and, and to get through this pandemic. Um, I think, you know, the world is going to look a lot different when things really do start to reopen. But um, I'm hoping that a lot of the amazing organizations and businesses are still around when we get through this. Um, so we're, you know, we need as much support as possible. But yeah, thank you for taking the time. Thanks. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye. For more on the State Theater's Save Your Seat fundraising campaign, or if you want to donate, head to stateofithaca.org. Their Save Your Seat benefit concert will air on Tuesday, December 1st at 8 p.m. on the State Theater's YouTube channel and Facebook page. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager Sam Ives, Programming Director Lou Barron, and News Social Media Coordinator Gabrielle Topping. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director Jay Bradley, with assistance from News Managing Director Celine Tutar, News Production Director Hamadri Saith, and Correspondent Christian Maitri. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dunbit of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We'll be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7pm next Sunday. I'm Skylar Eagle, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.